The Home Show with Sinead Ryan. This is News Talk. Welcome to The Home Show with me, Sinead Ryan, on the show this morning. From firing clay with cow dung to making clocks and toilets, we catch up with Keith Brimer-Jones, the head judge from TV hit The Great Pottery Throwdown. As home prices continue to soar, we look at the places and properties that are proving most popular. I meet the artist making exquisite decanters and goblets in ceramics. And Roisin Murphy will be looking at how to turn the humble window box into a design statement. If you'd like to get involved in the show today, you can text us here on The Home Show at 53106 for 30 cent, email us at thehomeshow at newstalk.com or find me on Twitter at Sinead underscore Ryan. And remember, you can listen live or listen back to the show and all of our podcasts on the Newstalk app, which is powered by GoLoud. Now, it's the first full week of lifted restrictions. How are you all feeling about it? Not much has changed uh, for me yet. I did get to go to a dinner party with eight real people in somebody's house, which was just lovely. Although I found myself halfway through doing the pandemic pocket patch looking for a mask when I needed to visit the loo. I had a coffee with a friend without being asked for my COVID cert and I went to the cinema with my husband and again, checks no longer needed. So that's something we don't have to keep carrying with us. Uh, for the moment anyway. Uh, Beyond that, I'm looking forward to maybe to attending a rugby international if I can get a ticket and full throttle then at the theatre and concerts and all that stuff we've been denied. But what I want to know this week is what was the first thing you did once you heard the, I think, surprising news last week that everything was reverting almost to normal. It was all a bit sudden in the end. Did you book holiday? Plan a gathering with or without cake? Or chuck the COVID cert away? Well look, let me know. I'm dying to hear what you did. Give me a little bit of a few ideas. I think we need a reintegration into society exercise. I certainly need to do a little bit of homework on how to conduct myself. So let us know here 53106 or email us at thehomeshow at newstalk.com and you're very welcome along. Now, from firing clay with cow dung to making wall-mounted clocks, they're just some of the challenges facing the contestants and potters on Channel 4's hit TV show, The Great Pottery Throwdown. I am glued to it, I must say. I'm really enjoying it. And I'm delighted to be joined by Master Potter and one of the judges from the show, Keith Brimer-Jones. Good morning, Keith. Welcome along to The Home Show. Hi, uh, how are you? All right. Good, thank you. Now, let's start by me asking you how you got started as uh, as a potter yourself. Oh, God. Um, well, it started... A fair few years ago, I mean, I was at the age of 11 when I became transfixed with with clay. Um, My art teacher at the time gave me a lump of clay at school in the first year. And really, I've never really looked back. It was almost like a a religious calling. It was an epiphany moment. Uh, The moment I touched the clay, it was was magical. Yeah. Really? (laughs) And tell me how the TV series came about then, because you were potting quite successfully. Is it called potting or pottering quite successfully uh, before that all started? Yeah, pot, potting will do. Potting will do. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I'd, I'd been making uh, and uh, hand making for big, large retailers such as, you know, um, Conran or Marks and Spencers or Habitat uh, back in the day um, for, for, for years. And it wasn't until I teamed up with my business partner, Dominic Spielman, um, and we formed a company called Make International. And we started doing these stupid videos, <laughs> one of which is me dressed as Adele singing uh, a spoof of Rolling in the Deep. And quite frankly, it kind of went viral. And it just so happened that the head honcho of Love 
Productions, who was over in America at the time, selling, I, I believe, the, the sort of Bake Off to various networks over there. He saw that he saw the video from his hotel room and uh, literally phoned me up and said, "Look, do you want to be a judge on this new?" <laughs> That's so what Adele had had a part to play, and I must say that video did go viral. And <laughs> it's very, it's a very professional production. I think Adele herself would be delighted with all the the smashed plates and cups in 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 front of you there. Um, and when you mentioned Bake Off, there, Keith, of course, the the pottery throwdown is actually very similar in format. So there's no kind of it's not one of these reality shows where you're humiliating people or shouting at them or anything. It's very much a kind of bringing them along with you. Now somebody has to go each week which is always uh, kind of a bit a bit sad. But how do you find the contestants are reacting or in, indeed the audience reacting to that format? I mean, look, yes, you're, you're absolutely right. We were always trying to get the balance right between the credibility of the creativity of the potters and pottery itself, the process. And also, you know, we've got to understand that it's a light entertainment programme as well. So, yeah, I mean, the format, to be perfectly honest, works really well in in this sort of uh, context because, you know, we've got 12 potters at the start and we end up with three in the final. And, and you know, the, the, the potters, they, they know that, um, you know, one of them is going to have to go, but they, they have such a tremendous... Um, uh, they have such tremendous input when they're on the show, no matter whether they go in the, on the first on the first episode or or the ninth. Mm. And, and and really, it's it's such a learning curve, and they all just they bond together so well. Um, it, it's it's just a it, it's just a fantastic learning curve for them, and and it's it, it's a great sort of. Um, a process and an opportunity for them to try new things week on week on and look at the end of the day when I was when I first was approached to do the show I said to Rich McCarrow from Love I said you know I don't want to do car crash TV that's not what I'm you know this is a this is a process and pottery is something that I'm really really passionate about I don't want to um, you know demean it by sort of doing car crash TV mm. and you know let's face it pottery is is one of those things that you can quite easily set people up to fail and um and and we, we we try not to do that obviously and and i think i think we've got the balance right and it's and it, it's kind of quite an uplifting show to be on as well as to as well as to watch i think well it, it might fall into the light entertainment category but there's an awful lot of stress tears and emotion on the show you provide much of them keith why do you think that is <laughs> I know. I literally ever since the first ten minutes of the first episode of the first series, I was uh, I was getting quite emotional, and and quite frankly, at the time, it was a surprise to me. But what it really is is that that you know we have these potters; they're incredibly brave to 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 come on to national television, doing something that they're really passionate about, and you know, quite frankly, get judged every week mm. um, for 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 their for their endeavours, and you know. Um, one can't help but em- empathise with them, um, and 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 also when they when they actually get something right, you'll notice that if they get something wrong, I I, I very well I don't I, I don't get emotional at all. But when they get something right, there's, it's just such a fantastic feeling. Mm. Not only just for me, but I can I, I kind of feel for the Potters. It, it is it is amazing um, that that they that we they've got this creation in between 
Rich and myself on the by the judging bench. They're on the other side of the judging bench. And we have this creation in front of us that's communicating what they really wanted to, to communicate. And it's it's just a wonderful feeling. And yeah, I get emotional. <laughs> you do. <laughs> now, there's a lot of talk on the show. And of course, when, when I was watching it, I know nothing about uh, pottery at all and the making of it. So I was fascinated by things like the fact that there's different types of clay, for instance, that are being used. And one of the things which seems very, very important is having a clean bottom. Talk to me about that. Oh, yeah, clean bottom. Well, you know, it could be a lesson in life, couldn't it, really, in, <laughs> in, in all sorts of areas. But, yeah, no, I mean, for me, you know, cleanliness and the way things are finished off is is part of the craftsmanship itself. And, um, yeah, and there is literally an infinite amount of different clays that you can have, different firings that you can do, different decorative processes. I mean, look, I've been doing pottery for 40 years and I feel I've only merely just scratched the surface now. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, it literally is endless of what, what you can do within the parameters of clay. And I'm talking with Keith Brimer-Jones. He's one of the judges on the Great Pottery Throwdown here on News Talk on The Home Show. We talk to a lot of ceramicists and potters on the show here, Keith, and they often say how therapeutic and sensual they find the whole process. Why is that? You know, pottery, the, the upsurge in pottery classes up and down the country is just amazing. Um, and, you know, as you say, it, it's an incredibly sensual, tactile uh, material to use. And... You, you can't help but sort of lose yourself within the process of making something with clay. And how do you know whether you're good enough um, to, to go from maybe sort of, uh, you know, a sort of novel, no, novelty potter to, 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 to professional? Well, I mean, if you can sell your work and someone likes it, then fair enough. Mm. You know, your world's your author, really. Um, so, you know, it, it's, it's, it, it's just one of those things that, uh, what I love about the process, you don't actually have to be good at it. Uh, it, it, it helps, obviously, especially on a program like the Throwdown. But, but you know, it's just the process itself that can be so cathartic and so and so meaningful to 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 you, the 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 person making something. Now, your biography is being published next month. Why did yeah. you write it, Keith? Um, well, I was asked, basically. <laughs> I was asked by the uh, publishers Hodder and Stoughton to, 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 to write the book. Um, you know, it was at the beginning of lockdown. Um, I was twiddling my thumbs. I had not much else to do. And, and interestingly enough, they, um, they, they asked if I needed a ghostwriter to help me write the book. And I thought, well, no, actually, my oldest friend, who's actually in the book, um, he, he was a guitarist in a band that was in many years ago. He's actually a writer. So we teamed up and we 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 wrote this book. And I must have I must say he's the kind of George Michael of the team, and I'm the Andrew Richland. <laughs> so, There's an image I can't unsee. <laughs> well, there you go. So I kind of wrote, wrote reams and reams of, of things about particular stories, things that have happened in my life. And and Mick uh, Mick J Mick James um, has actually sort of coerced it into different chapters. And and what we've done is we've 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 ran certain uh, pottery processes through particular chapters that, that were meaningful at the time in my life. And that's, and that's what we've done. And it, yeah, it's, I mean, dare I say myself, but it, it's worked really well, I think. Yeah, it's great. Fantastic. And give us the name of it, Keith. 
boy in a china shop. What else could it be? <laughs> what else could it be? All right. Well, listen, The Great Pottery Throwdown is currently on Channel 4 on Sundays at 7.45, but you can catch all the episodes on the free streaming service, All 4. Uh, and of course, Keith's biography, uh, Boy in a China Shop, will be out next month. Keith Brimer-Jones, thank you so much uh, for joining us from The Great Pottery Throwdown. Thanks, Sinead. It's been great talking to you. Now, still to come on the home show, Roisin Murphy will be answering your design dilemmas and showing us how to upgrade our window boxes and balconies. But next, we meet the woman making probably the most unusual decanters and goblets I've ever seen. Stay tuned. And you're very welcome back to the home show here on News Talk. I'm Sinead Ryan. Uh, now, before the break, I was speaking with Keith Brimer Jones. He's one of the judges on the great pottery throwdown, and he had some fantastic tales to tell me about how Adele got him started in the business. If you'd like to get in contact with the show, text us on 53106 for 30 cent. You can email us here at the home show at newstalk.com. Now, earlier in the week, you may have read the article in the Irish Independent where Irish Olympic champion Kelly Harrington said it was nearly impossible for her to get a mortgage. Uh, we're also seeing house prices beginning to reach Celtic Tiger prices again so we thought we would find out what types of properties are in demand, what areas are popular and why it all seems to uh, have gone a bit bonkers all over again. Well to answer these questions I'm joined by Louise Kenny of Lisney Estate Agents. Morning Louise, welcome to the Home Show. Morning Sinead, thanks for having me. Now, uh, talk to me first about, I know January is a very traditional time, or spring is at least, kind of people think that's the best time to, to get your house on the market and sell it. What kinds of properties are the most popular? Sure, so what is most popular at the moment Sinead are well-located properties in relatively good condition. So properties that don't require extensive refurbishment or construction works, obviously the cost of construction has increased significantly and even to source a contractor can be difficult. So houses that people feel they can walk into and maybe do work at a later date, they're really drawn towards those and they're willing to push themselves that little bit further to secure them is what we're finding. Okay, because there was a there was a moment in time there not too long ago where the big kind of the executor sale project, a 1980s house that needed to kind of nearly be rebuilt was all the rage and people were putting on big box extensions costing a fortune. So you're saying now Mm -hmm. they've gone more just to turnkey. Yeah, they have. I mean, obviously, you know, the period properties perhaps that do require refurbishment, they're still very popular. Um, but in, in a lot of cases, people are actually buying them, moving into them, do minimal work again and waiting, you know, for a period mm. of time mm. before they do that big job that previously they probably would have done immediately. What do buyers look for in an area in particular? Is it still kind of at schools and transport links and nearness to a city and, and all of that? Yeah, so I think during the pandemic, things changed slightly for Sinead. We saw a shift out of the city towards sort of coastal areas, maybe like Dorky, that sort of thing, Black Rock. Um, People wanted gardens. They wanted more space. It was about lifestyle a little bit more. Recently, I've seen a bit of a shift back into the city. I mean, places like Sandy Mount, Renala, Rathmines, they've always been really popular mm. for exactly what you said, schools, the village feel, and I suppose the ability to still walk into the city if you want to. Mm. So the areas that were popular are still as such, but there was definitely a move out of the city during the pandemic. Has working from home reframed the market? I mean, are people actively now looking maybe from for an office space within the house? Um, or, or do you think that that'll dissipate throughout the year as the restrictions could? continue to be lifted? 
Yeah, no, I think they are. I mean, I think the working landscape has probably changed somewhat forever. And I find now when we're in houses, you hear people discussing, you know, where they'll put the home office, be it in the garden, maybe converting an attic or a garage. But yeah, it's still very much um, an important feature for people. Now, uh, you were talking there about a lot of the Dublin suburbs, which have been traditionally very, very popular and in high demand where there are houses Mm. available, of course. Um, What about other cities? What about Cork? Is it the same trend that, that you find elsewhere? Yeah, I think my colleagues have been seeing the same trends as we have in Dublin. Um, In Cork, for example, they've seen a lot of people maybe moving home from abroad, um, buying houses again, maybe they grew up in Cork, buying houses again, those sort of areas. And also, I think given the pandemic, some people had the opportunity maybe to increase savings, that sort of thing. And they're seeing a lot of people looking for holiday homes now in coastal regions Mm. for a second property. Sure, don't um, people from be... Cork buy their holiday home in Cork? <laughs> As they well. do. <laughs> yeah, they they do. love it so know, much. They love it so much. So they holiday homes. want to leave. Absolutely. All right. All right. Now, uh, when it comes to um, asking price and selling price, I know there were kind of rules brought in a number of years ago that were tried to align that a little bit more closely, maybe to get rid of the kind of the tar kickers that were just going to inflate the, the price on it and send it out to kilter. Yes, you do see sale prices that still go for considerably over the asking price. So people get into a bidding war. How closely aligned are those figures or is it possible for you as as an estate agent to make them? So I suppose it very much depends, Sinead, on the end of the market we're discussing. So at the upper end of the market, you're less likely to have a large pool of people you know, competitively bidding for a property. And therefore, you'd find the prices, if they do go above asking, might be marginal. Whereas at the middle end of the market, because demand outweighs supply so heavily, there's, you know, there's huge competition there. Therefore, in a lot of cases, there is competitive bidding. And as a result, the prices do go above asking. Um, just given, you know, the lack of supply, people are pushing themselves that little bit further to try and secure mm. the property. Are you finding many landlords where we're hearing landlords are, are kind of dropping like flies and getting out of the market? Is that your experience in Lisney? Yeah, there's certainly less landlords, yep, um, month per month than there were for yeah. sure. Now, so finally then, what would you recommend for a seller who is heading into the property market this spring uh, in terms of uh, presenting their home in terms of what market to look for any tips that you can offer us sure i would suggest given the lack of supply again that people who are considering selling probably think about it sooner rather than later you know there's a severe shortage of property on the market and if people are in a position to go they should probably consider maybe going a little bit earlier this year i feel um, and take advantage of the market as it is Um, The usual things apply. I mean, presentation is so important. And I suppose the less people feel they need to do when they walk into a house, the better it is. So Mm. presentation is key. um, And obviously photographs and and all of that are so Mm. important. All right. Well, Louise Kenny of Lisney Estate Agents, continued success for 2022. And thanks for joining us this morning on The Home Show. Thanks very much. Now, one thing I've noticed is that decanters are making a bit of a comeback. Many of my generation will remember family homes with the Waterford Crystal decanter. It was hardly ever used, of course, but it looked nice. But lately I came across an Irish collection of really exquisite decanters from a Roscommon artist who has just won an award for her work. And I'm delighted to be joined now by her, Chloe Lennon. Good morning, Chloe. Welcome along to The Home Show. 
Good morning, Sinead. Thank you for having me. Now, I mentioned just there that you won a very prestigious award. Which one was it? Talk to me about it. So I just recently won the Design and Craft Council of Ireland's Future Maker Emerging Artist Award. Um, So it's a word in craft and design in Ireland. Fantastic. Congratulations. Thank you. (laughs) Now, how did you get involved in ceramics in the first place and how did you end up in uh, South Roscommon? So I grew up in South Roscommon, um, just outside of Athlone Town. And when I was in school, I always really loved art class. I loved to draw. So I went on to study in the National College of Art and Design after I finished school. And it was while I was at NCAD that I fell in love with ceramics. Growing up, my mum and dad were both quite creative. My dad's a kitchen and kind of fitted furniture designer. And my mum is was always massive interested in craft and interior design. And so everything that we were doing at home was always kind of homemade, hands-on. So um, you didn't so lick it off the that, ground is what you're telling me. <laughs> so, no. So the tactility yeah, of ceramics was was really in my nature. What gotcha. Now, at the very top of the show, I was talking with Keith Brimer-Jones. He's the presenter of uh, The Judge on the Great uh, Pottery Throwdown uh, on Channel yeah. 4. And uh, uh, he was talking about that kind of sensual pleasure that you get from touching clay uh, and and how it kind of is such um, a creative process for the artists themselves. What struck me about your work, Chloe, is how unusual these decanters and goblets are for a start. Um, the first ones I want to talk about, the lichen tumblers, because they're all based on Irish fauna and flora, so lichen and moss and that. But but you've gone for this kind of very dark black uh, ceramic. Why did you choose that? How did that process come to you? Well, it was essentially all the work that I have at the moment is since the pandemic. So it was me and my dog walking through the bogs surrounding the area where I live. Um, so that's the kind of dark peat soils that were kind of surrounding me growing up and now that obviously none of us could go anywhere over the last while. So that was everything that I was living and breathing was essentially the landscape around me. And that's what's been informing all the work that I've been producing over the last year. Now, they're very modern pieces. So they're big round goblets and a decanter, which is like, I suppose, a spouted milk jug without a handle, I suppose, is my very not terribly good description of it. (laughs) But it looks as if they nearly have moss or lichen growing up from underneath them. Is that a 3D effect that you wanted? It is, yeah. So the decanters themselves are cast in a plaster mould and they're smooth when they come out, very kind of minimalist forms. And then I add porcelain in different colours um, across the surface of them in textures. So they're kind of three-dimensional kind of similarity to the moss and lichen that you see kind of growing up on trees and things like that. Um, so it is, and it actually, it works kind of as a grip on the decanter then as well when you want to use them because of that 3D texture that mm. it has. You don't want that slipping out of your hand with your expensive <laughs> wine inside. <laughs> no, of Now, not. you've got a very dramatic range called Volcanic, and it really is. You've got this very um, startling, metallic uh, feel to it and, and shape to it. What gave you that idea? We've no volcanoes in Ireland that I know of, not in South Wales Common anyway. <laughs> no, it was actually looking at kind of recent volcanic eruptions and I've always been fascinated with that kind of lava and magma that kind of oozes out of those eruptions and while I was looking at footage it just kind of inspired me to do those kind of cracking 
kind of surfaces with the magma inside and that kind of molten effect. And um, we don't unfortunately have any volcanoes here, but I think if we did, it wouldn't exactly be safe to be doing any first-hand <laughs> research anyway. I would think not. Uh, they are very dramatic. And that go. how hard is it though to get that metallic finish on it? What do you use for that? Because it's very striking. So those are, there's two ways that I apply gold and one is actual gold leaf that's applied onto the surface. Um, and the second is a material called gold luster, which is a ceramic material that you paint onto the pieces after they've been fired and you refire it. And it's essentially particles of gold or copper or platinum that are in a medium that will keep them liquid until you put it through the kiln and it, it fires onto the surface. So they are actually gold and copper that is on the pieces themselves. And yet your price point is quite reasonable. What what are these items costing? Um, so the tumblers, the lichen and moss ones start at about €23 Euro, um, and the volcanic and erode ones are 37 But it was to try and get in because sculptural work, it's, it's at a price bracket that most of us can't afford in our everyday lives. So I wanted to do something that was more accessible for people that did like my work that we can buy and enjoy without having the massive price tag. Well, they often say in economics that gold is a hedge against uncertain uh, uncertainty in the equity markets. And that is probably the cheapest gold you're going to find around the place, <laughs> Cold Leaf. Now, you only sell your work online rather than in shops. Why is that? Um, so that's again with the price point um, that I wanted to make these accessible, as you're saying, for the gold and the product. It It is at a accessible price range, but if you put it through the shop, obviously the shop has to put on their price and they have to add for that. Mm. So if I was putting something in that's 23, it will come out the other side at 50 something. Um, right, right. And then it will go back into that inaccessible price range. Mm. Okay. So what's up next for you now, Chloe? Having uh, done this with the continued success that you have, any plans for 2022? Well, it is now hopefully expanding the collection of work that I have at the moment. Um, looking at kind of projects around Ireland of different landscapes and wildlife and nature and trying to incorporate more of that into what I'm doing. And hopefully be able to bring my work to some exhibitions like Showcase and the National Design and Craft Gallery in Ireland and the likes of Collect Art Fair in London. Yeah, and try and expand both the kind of functional wear that I have and the sculptural work. Wonderful. Now, if people want to find out more about your work and have a look at some of the, those beautiful goblets and decanters, where can they find you? So I'm online at chloelennon.com, which has my catalogue of sculptural work as well as my shop and then online at Instagram at uh, Chloe Lennon Ceramics. Wonderful. Well, listen, Chloe Lennon from Dali Dangan in South Roscommon. Thank you so much for joining us this morning on The Home Show. Thanks, Jeanette. Now, after the break, resident architect Roisin Murphy will be designing a galley kitchen and explaining how to turn the humble window box into a design statement. And you can do it all this weekend. So join me back here in The Home Show on News Talk in a few moments.
And you're very welcome back to the home show here on News Talk. I'm Sinead Ryan. At the top of the show, I was speaking to Keith Brimer Jones, the potter from the great pottery throwdown. And uh, we had a bit of fun with that conversation. If you want to listen back to that or any of our items at any time, of course, we are on podcast, uh, which is on the News Talk app powered by Go Loud. Uh, and it is that time in the week where I say another welcome back to studio, our design diva, Roisin Murphy. Buongiorno. Says the diva. Yeah. <laughs> How are you doing? diva. A week, of, a week, I was asking people to send in ideas of what they did in the first week yeah. of restrictions lifted because it's all a bit kind of strange. Yeah. Um, what, have you done anything mad that you weren't doing beforehand this week? What did I do? I'll tell you exactly what's happened now. Everybody's organising to come to my gaff. And not my friends, my children's friends. And There's why like, not with your beautiful new kitchen? Well, no, it's before everything's finished. I didn't, I didn't finish it. I haven't put any of the kind of the, the fancy bits and pieces into it. So they think it's still perfect for a teenage party. Mm. And there is part of me that's going, I was walking down Hollybank or Drumconda Road the other day and I could just see all of St. Pat's Teacher Training College assembled on Drumconda Road drinking. And I thought, that's the problem with a dry campus. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? If ever there was an ad for student pubs, the bars and the camp, it was unreal. They were just celebrating. And I thought, oh my God, it's so nice. <laughs> it's so nice for them. See them. I, I mean, yeah. yeah, it is actually. Just watching. Um, and then the, it's coming out of here as well. Last week, there was just barrels, like a river of barrels cascading down Whoa. from Marconi yeah, House down. Yeah, and you yeah. just thought, you know, but ex- but in fairness, as they say, um, as as... <laughs> It's, it's, it's the pandemic isn't over. The pandemic isn't over. Please be careful out there. It's not over. I know, but, but it we does did. Feel we like we it. had a nice week of respite. Oh, didn't we? fantastic! Yeah, it just feels good. so good, good, doesn't it? Just does. Yeah. And there's an element. Of, and actually, it's amusing how quickly we got back to normal. Uh, you know, for the first time, not every yeah. single news bulletin ran began with COVID. And yeah. that was such a change. I think that was the biggest relief uh, for the presenters as, from, as much oh, as anybody else. You know. Now, you were talking there about yeah. your, your kitchen and I know it's bright and airy and mm. your skylights and we're mm. all going to pay a visit when yeah. it's all done. Yeah. Um, but I thought we'd start off, Jay, because I was reading an article during the, the week about... Um, homes that have galley kitchens yes. and like there are still lots and lots of them out there a lot of them built in the last 15 or so years that kind of have a front and a back of the house and then the kitchen is in this like yeah. corridor nearly like a pantry them. kitchen yeah, yeah. Well, and you don't eat there but but you still have to do all yeah. your all your prep well I think my kitchen was a galley kitchen and it still to an extent is because I still haven't moved my kitchen into the main room and what was interesting is Deval Kitchens who were a big hit they're everybody would know anybody who's looking at kitchens knows Duval Kitchens an English company all bespoke cabinetry their biggest um, most successful hit on Instagram in 2020 and 2021 was their galley kitchen mm. and what I think the thing is and you know there's an argument for saying the island is kind of dead or dying or on its way out or these big enormous kitchens I met somebody walking a dog during the week who was saying they have deliberately not put on a big huge kitchen because they are difficult to heat there isn't that sense of intimacy so they have their little galley kitchen mm. now in a galley kitchen you you can actually you can actually eat I've always eaten in the galley kitchen I kind of had a designed piece to one side that had everything in it and the other side we ate not around a table to the you know to the edges you yeah. know we always were facing yeah. each other because we designed it such but basically a galley kitchen is so efficient so intimate so easy to heat so you're kind of you're nearly forced into a design piece because it's all about the illusion of space yeah um, it, it, and making sure that everything is in this you know this triangle of, of yeah. kind of space is that yeah, it yeah and it's a real machine for a room that's a machine for cooking 
So what I think what it what it lacks in terms of sociability is the thing of somebody sitting down being served and chatting. But what it adds in if you're if you really like cooking, it's like being in a chef's kitchen. So okay. you'll have one side is prep food, the other side is say wash up. They're ideally working in a single line. I don't like cross circulation in mm. a kitchen. However small or big a kitchen is, the idea is you fridge hob and sink but that you can decant from say if you bought a pot of pasta that that pasta gets you don't have to cross or turn oh, around I see what you because mean. of accent yeah, so yeah, I always yeah. like to have the sink and the hob oddly together I don't mind a fridge on the other side and a fridge funny enough is a really important piece in any kitchen in terms of I defy anybody to have an under counter fridge alone at the mm, moment mm. so you would have these French door style um mm. Uh, fridge and storage yeah. on one yeah. side and then you would have food prep on the other side in an ideal one. So That's, give us give us some tips then yeah. about how you can make that space look bigger because I, you're you're one now for having yeah. all the the legs on the on the oh, yeah. cabinets isn't yeah. that it and and kind of maybe open shelving well, is, can be a good idea. Open shelving there's a big debate about this but in open shelving it's very handy in a tight space because you don't have the problem of opening uh, doors. So you have open shelving you can see exactly what you have. Um, and that means easy access as well. What I and love about your items is yeah. the way that you're doing all these hand movements. Oh, yeah, and We're on radio, We're on but radio. I know exactly you're so animated. You're pulling open doors there Well, in front it is of me. that thing. It's like I have a very, I'm, I'm, I'll be honest with you, I was discussing this about wardrobes the other day. Is I have a very, uh, I'm a visual memory. I cannot, if something goes into a drawer, I've forgotten it. I have to see things. So in cooking for me, I have to be able to see all of the spices, all of the things and on the other side so you would have and then you have long term storage so you break it down according to and this is the key in kitchens once you've done your triangle and it can be a straight line you break it down to pieces that you use every day pieces that you use twice a day pot racks are really handy because you use say a a pasta pot so they're easy access yeah Cutlery can go somewhere separately because you're laying out a table maybe only once in a day. Oh, right, um, okay. But so access it's about to how, how yeah. much you need to yeah. see and access. And how things. much you need to access. But then Christmas utensils, large pay, large fancy um, pots and pans and baking things can be stored further away or higher up so you are not you don't have to use them two or three times okay. a day. So you organise your kitchen around frequency of use so in a small is, space. So it's that efficiency, isn't it? And, oh, you, and, yeah, and I think sure the thing that, thing that inspired me the most was a in Ahakista in the west there's a restaurant that you access by boat from an, from on an island and I remember he was the most extraordinary food I've ever tasted can't remember the name of the restaurant but basically he went in and he had a kitchen that was the size of a small ensuite and I couldn't believe wow. he produced the food from it so then that was the thing that unlocked it for me about 20 years and I realised the master kitchen or the big kitchen really is about sociability oh, okay. which is okay. we could talk about that another right. time okay Good. All right. Well, listen, we are hoping we've had a kind of a mildish winter, says she, fingers crossed, touching wood all over the place uh, that will continue. So people are looking a little bit uh, perhaps towards the burgeoning of spring, metaphorically and literally. So we thought we would talk all things, uh, not not gardening, Roisin, that isn't isn't your feature, um, but actually the humble old window box. Yes. I love nothing humble a about box. it. I love a window box. I have to say, I, I, I just think a window box is one of the most essential pieces of kit in an urban environment. Um, and I particularly. It's uh, lovely for passers by, even, isn't oh it? It's a real treat. God, it's like to pass oh, by a house and just oh. see somebody who's put a splash of colour out of their window. I'm sorry, they're the great democracy of gardens. A window box really shows off a house. 
forget about the front garden yeah. or, or your road frontage it's a window box and I think in particular the ones that have really inspired me would be Paris in, for instance where they have apartment living like yes. they have they know their window boxes and they know their they decorate their houses they have trees growing out of them and there's a beautiful <laughs> tree actually in North Great Georgia Street you know where they have again near, our old Georgian architecture kind of has that period of like the French Parisian style where you'll yeah. have a lot of wrought iron balcony stroke window box at the front and they will have very ornate and extremely glamorous um, showy yeah. bits at the front yeah. so I'm all for so that So how do you make a design statement out of it because when I think of window boxes yeah. I'm thinking what of like, think? a, like a wooden trough with kind yeah. of pansies in it yeah. it's very very simple yeah. I don't I don't have one of those but that's quite, what I kind of think of in yeah, it I mean, but you can get kind of a well, bit you, of drama can't you, you can get a bit of drama in those as well the big thing to remember and this is where I'm going to put my architect's hat on be very careful when you put the window box on it's particularly if you have one say if you have one that's dropped underneath the windowsill if you're not putting the actual box on the sill if you're putting it below it fix it away from the walls put a waterproof membrane paint to protect your brickwork because brickwork is quite poor so if you you must protect whatever you're sitting it on oh, or fixing right. it to right okay didn't think of that yeah I know you need sorry you need it a you lot don't, you don't want the ivy going into your no <laughs> and you want an inch and a half ventilation at the back of a window box between that and a window particularly if it's timber that's the first thing the basic is so the is basics. it better off then on a little stand or on a bracket then yeah you need okay. it on a bracket to secure it against wind if you want a big elaborate one you need it quite anchored down there are a couple of fashions in them at the moment there is the win- the wooden one that is very popular there's also a cast iron one that has a kind of coconut um, webbing inside that looks really good so it's like a mini miniature balcony cast iron oh, balcony right. but they get fixed underneath the windowsill if you have then if you're in an apartment and you have um, kind of a what we would describe as a balustrade the, they, you get special ones that will kind of sit on top of that that, so they have their like a saddle. I've seen those, yes. and I don't know how they. It's a bit like that's I don't what know how they're for. Go in the air. They go. They're for. They're for balcony. They they fit over like an N on top of an I. They kind of straddle the balcony. That's how they fit. So you have flowers on either oh. side, and um, but the the other ones you can get are the standard terracotta ones. Are lovely, mm. and then. Also, you can get an aluminium one, or if you're feeling really fancy, you can get a nice copper one. They're really beautiful, and they're but they're very ex- much more expensive. Gorgeous. They're up in another end. You'll want to make sure that's fixed somewhere, yeah. depending on where you live. Yeah. But also, you can have um, you can get these ones that are really nice, which are kind of like a concrete stone planter. They're very heavy. They're self-weighting, and they look really good if they're empty. And they sometimes have embossed on them things like fleur de lis and stuff. Fit, depending mm-hmm. how fancy you are. But for me, the thing is. To get them securely anchored in, <clears throat> excuse me, not to damage your brickwork so or your blockwork. So make sure if they're right tight up against the wall that you have have given that a lick of uh, waterproof paint. And uh, with the wooden ones, they will rot over time. It's very difficult to protect them. So if you have one there for a while, mm. you'll need to check it as it, the growth you goes in. You can buy that paint that kind of seals it. But even with that, you kind of need to change it every, you every do. say, five you do. years or so. You do, exactly. Yeah. But they are really good. And the other thing then is uh, go loud and proud and bold. I think there's no point in being shy with your window boxes. Go hardcore. And Are also you talking about painting them? Or everything. In, or, oh, I right. just think, I also think what's really nice is a recycled one. You can use a, a wine bottle, things to hold wine bottles are lovely on a smaller one. But also you can do what's very popular at the moment is, and I think I've said it before, they're basically, say, aluminium shelving. So you put like a sort of an open shelving fixed up against your front door 
uh, so that you can have a series of pots on it. So it's almost like a shop or buckets again, galvanized, natural oh, galvanized so buckets. they're so popular, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, and you can do them down your steps if you have steps. But oh, rather than lovely. that informality, I know we all have the classic boxes in a pot beside our door, which yeah. is the real kind of, it is a lovely thing to put a plant beside your door. But that thing of uh, raw aluminium boxes or buckets are really beautiful. And the other thing is scale. If you're going for the pot at the front of the door in the garden, don't be frightened of using a big, huge Pot. Oh, make a statement out make of it. Make a statement. Okay. And they're they're also lovely. A window box actually inside a house is actually quite nice as well. Really? Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. So don't be, you know, say if you've got something and you want to do a herb garden or something like that as well. Herbs are beautiful. But that thing of like, you know, just using scale, using materials and using a bit of imagination. People have used boots as well. I'm not so fond of the boots. Oh, the boots, yeah. yeah. And and the old uh, kind of the, the wheelbarrows and the baths yes. and all that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah, or the Belfast right. things make and the class one. Yeah, and they're exactly. a bit popular at the moment. All right. Thank you for those tips. Uh, Roisin's rules there on uh, winter boxes. And no of course, That's the rule. <laughs> <laughs> you can do that this weekend, folks, after the show. All right. Now, each week you bring me in an object of design. Right. Uh, what have you got for me this week? Oh, I do know what this yes. is. Rare moment of me immediately knowing what an item is that Roisin brings in. This is a St. Bridget's Cross. Yes. In Bollock, it's in Bollock Day. I love saying that. I'm sure it's pronounced something completely differently, but I am 10 so. sometimes and I like <laughs> to say it frequently. In Bollock Day, guys, the real goddess culture. Yeah. What we lost. But Bridget's Cross, there's lots this of... This is our new... I'm holding yeah. our, our, the representation of our new bank holiday, am I not? In Bollock. <laughs> our new bank holiday. Yes. Yeah, that's right. It's yeah, to be on Bridget's yeah. Day But in fairness year. to Bridget... Like, let's be honest. She was some woman. She was cool. They destroyed her. They 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 kind of gave her. They cleaned her up a bit. But anybody who's seen a few Sheila the gigs in their day around she in the in, in the I'm woman. naming this particularly in St Bridget's Church in the church in Kildare in the basement there you will find if you're allowed in you'll find a few beautiful Sheila the gigs which are of course those fertility and just yeah. remember Bridget was an independent woman. She was a classic Irish woman, I suppose before before um the culture of Christianity came to it, which is, you know, and at one point it was, it was, you know, more diverse, let's just say. Bring Colour, on the goddess. A colourful life and, and, um, and a worthy uh, yeah. recipient of this beautiful cross. Um, tell me what it it's is from, traditionally okay, made of. It's made of rush that you can mm-hmm. um, weave or willow that you can weave and there are classes all over the country that are showing you how to do this at the moment. We made them all the time in schools in Kildare. I still can't make one. I never learned how to make one. <laughs> oh, so that's Sarah yours, Jenkins. No, that's Sarah Jenkins. I wish it was mine. Professional. But it's you can beautiful. make them in willow, you can make them in reed or you, you can make them even with paper with your kids. But and look at the precision yeah. of that. It's kind of a, like a magic mathematical thing nearly isn't yeah. it and I've, I've very poor spatial skills but mm. I, actually that weaving and just the way everything interlinks it's like one of those mesmeric puzzles that you it look is, at so really? it goes round and round and yeah, isn't but it? it is yeah. kind of cool Beautiful. and I just think it's lovely that we have something that really celebrates um, the goddess in all of us that's so if you've got a stair beside you in the bed, go down and make a breakfast. <laughs> it's coming up to her day. And if you have a Bridget in your life, just be very grateful. Well, I couldn't agree more. Uh, so let let the Bridgets in your life stay in bed. Grab her another cup of coffee yeah. and um, <laughs> you can uh, expound on the wonder that was St. Bridget and indeed Roisin Murphy. Thank you so much. <laughs> you'll find me on Roisin Murphy Architect. You will, of course, as always on Instagram. And I know you'll pop up I a photograph pop up. of that beautiful uh, yeah. St. Bridget's cross. And, uh, oh, sorry, it wards off evil spirits Do you know as, as the pandemic is over Absolutely. I think it's time for some real medicine that. Don't forget we, Luke we, O'Neill 
Will we <laughs> Bridget's cross? We might wave it off the west coast of Cork at all those <laughs> Russian sailors on their way over to us. Oh. All right. Now, listen, that is all we time for uh, on that note. Thank you very much, Roisin, again for coming into studio and bringing all that insight and advice. And if you'd like to get involved in the show, maybe you have a topic you would like to hear Roisin cover or a question you'd like to hear, to hear her answer, do get in touch with us. 53106 for 30 cent. Email us at thehomeshow at newstalk.com. And of course, Roisin will take a look at all of those. And don't forget to check out the Home Show podcast and all our greatest hits on the News Talk website. Thanks very much to the production team this week. We had uh, Simon Keane, we had Gareth Mulhall and uh, coming up next we have Anton Savage. So do stay tuned for that and we'll see you all next Saturday. Music